Thank you so much for inviting us to be here tonight. It's really a privilege to open God's word to you. And before we do that, I'm just going to share briefly, give you a bird's eye view of how the Lord has um, been using us in South Africa and in Zimbabwe. We live in Cape Town, South Africa, right at the bottom tip of the African continent. And the Lord has opened many doors for us in the last three or four years since we were last here in California. One way in which we have um, sought to fulfill the Great Commission, which we have found has borne fruit for us, is to have small group Bible studies in different parts of um, our city. And the Lord has opened doors for us to study the Word with different people groups in South Africa. And through the study of the Word, we have seen fruit, and some have come to Christ. Um, what we typically would do is I would start with going through fundamentals of the faith, just basic ideas, how we got the Bible, what the Bible is about, who God is, who Jesus Christ is, the Holy Spirit, just going through basic doctrines, then moving into some more intermediate sort of studies, and then going through books of the Bible and just opening the scriptures. And we have found that the Lord has, has brought people to salvation through these Bible study evangelistic efforts. And so we're just thankful for that. A door that is continually opened for us also in our area is to work amongst refugees. As many, many folk come in from other African countries to South Africa seeking jobs. And so it's been an opportunity for us to be a witness to folk from the Congo, Rwanda, um, Mozambique, and other countries in Central Africa that have come down into South Africa. And so we work also amongst refugees. I also teach at a Bible college, and um, the students come there to prepare for ministry. So, uh, most of them will go back and work and you know, serve in their assemblies and have a secular job, but quite a few have also indicated their desire to go into missions. And one fellow who came to Christ about three years ago from their Muslim faith is heading out to Pakistan fairly shortly, and we just thank the Lord for him and that the Lord has given him a desire to go to his own people, he has a Pakistani passport, and so we'll be praying for Shamoon, if you can remember that name, as it's a difficult part of the world to, to be a witness. Um, another fellow is going off to Zimbabwe from our Bible college to an area which is fairly unreached, part of the country of Zimbabwe. And so we have um, these different opportunities to teach the folk in South Africa. I believe some of you, at least, would have come to my wife's report a few days ago, and so you saw some pictures and everything of what my wife does, and she works with children and does discipleship with ladies and seeks to um, apply the Titus II principle, discipling younger ladies um, in accordance with how women are taught to, to encourage the younger women. We also have a ministry to Zimbabweans, and every year we seek to go to Zimbabwe and be an encouragement to the believers there in the different assemblies. Bonnie's parents were missionaries there for over 30 years, and we once lived there. Bonnie was a missionary there. And so we have contact with quite a few of the assemblies, and they really need encouragement with the economic climate and the dictatorship of the country. So we try to go there every year and be an encouragement to the believers there. And while I'm there, I teach at a Bible college, also where some, a number of the elders from the assemblies come and benefit from the study of the Word of God. Uh, there's also the work of creation ministries that we're involved with. 
Um, because Satan is such a liar and has brought his philosophies into the schools, as it is the same in here, and evolution is taught as fact in the schools, we've been part of a ministry that the Lord has opened up um, about 10 years ago, where we go into the schools and we teach the kids what the Bible teaches about creation, where the schools allow us to do that. And so they hear the alternate uh, view, the, the biblical view of creation, and we use that as a platform for the gospel. We also provide resources through creation ministries. And so it's, a, it's an evangelistic ministry, but also a ministry to encourage believers to stand firm on the word of God. So that's a summary of the work the Lord has called us to. We have also been doing outreach among sailors, but in, in recent times, a number of the doors have closed for us as we can't go on the ships anymore. Uh, we used to be able to go on ships and do outreach for about 14 years now we've been doing that but the captains don't allow us on anymore for security reasons. So we still have a small ministry with the sailors who are believers who come to our homes for Bible studies when the ships come, but we don't have that opportunity of getting on the ships and reaching out to the unreached sailors. So we really appreciate your prayers, and thank you so much for wanting to know about what the Lord is doing in South Africa and in Zimbabwe through us. If we could turn in our Bibles now to the book of Acts, if you'll turn to chapter 12, Acts chapter 12. We're going to read from a passage that maybe you haven't heard preached from so much. It's a, a narrative account, and I'm sure you heard the story many times in Sunday school. But it's part of the, the history of the church. Acts is a, a book of the history of the early church. And here we have in chapter 12 probably the... Um, a final account almost of Peter. The first 12 chapters, there is a strong focus on the apostolic ministry of Peter, and then it, the Holy Spirit puts the spotlight on Paul and the travels of the Apostle Paul from this point onwards. But let's read this passage together of what the Lord did in the life of Peter. Acts chapter 12, verse 1. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Peter was therefore kept in prison. But constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers and the guards before the doors were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison. And he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they were past the first and the second guard posts, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them in its own accord. 
And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectation of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, You are beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, It is his angel. Now Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. But motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, Go tell these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. Then as soon as it was day, there was no small stir among the soldiers about what had become of Peter. But when Herod had searched for him and not found him, he examined the guards and commanded that they should be put to death. And he went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. Now Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, but they came to him with one accord, and having made Blastus the king's personal aid, their friend, they asked for peace, because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. So on a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. And the people kept shouting, The voice of a god and not of a man. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him, because he did not give glory to God. And he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God grew and multiplied. Lovely story, isn't it? Amazing account of the power of our Lord. When we came into South Africa, at least into America from South Africa, people knew we were from Africa. One of the first things they said, so do you have Ebola in your country? <laughs> and I could see there was an immediate nervousness, you see. And I said, well, you know, there is Ebola in, in Africa, but you know, if I don't sneeze, you should be fine. <laughs> And Im immediately, of course, they worried a little bit, but I put them at ease when I said, no, there are no cases of Ebola in South Africa. But people are, are afraid, aren't they? They're afraid when they hear about these um, diseases and the ISIS issue. Often people mention these and there is fear. And suffering is something that we all fear. It is a common experience in life. From the beginning of mankind, we see suffering. Abel, who offered a right sacrifice, suffered because he did what was right. The prophets in the Old Testament suffered as they spoke and preached the word of God. Our Lord Jesus Christ suffered throughout his life. And he came for that very purpose, didn't he? He came to suffer and to die on a cross to save us from our sins. 
The Apostle Paul said those who wish to live godly lives will suffer persecution. It's not a possibility, it's an inevitability. If you want to live a godly life, there will be persecution. But the big reaction, the reaction is different from, from people. Some people, when they go through suffering, think, well, where is God? Why is God not with me? Why am I suffering so much? Has God lost control? Now, as we, in this account that we're going to look at this evening, one thing we're going to see so clearly is that the Lord is in control no matter what the circumstance. And the first point I'd like to bring out is that God is sovereign even when we suffer. God is sovereign even when we suffer. So at the beginning of this account, we see that King Herod, this is King Herod Agrippa, the grandson of Herod the Great, was a nasty man. And what he was doing was he was putting to death Christians. He had put to death James, and he thought, since this pleased the Jews so much, let's get Peter as well. Now, James, remember, was one of Jesus' disciples. He was in the inner three. And Peter, they thought, maybe this was the number one guy. Let's get Peter as well. That will really impress the Jews, and Herod will become even more popular. And so Herod was a people pleaser. And people pleasers tend to do nasty things. Because they want, to be, they want others to like them, they will do things that are displeasing to God. So he thought he would have Peter, um, and he puts Peter in prison. And what does he do? He gets four squads to guard this one man. Now, how many people is that? Sixteen. Four, four people per squad. So there's 16 men guarding one man. And he wasn't exactly a serial killer or anything, and, and something tells me that Herod was afraid that he would have 16 men to guard one man. So Peter was in prison. It, he was locked away there. It was secure, so it would seem. And we are told in verse 5, but prayer, but constant prayer was offered by God for him by the church. So Peter was about to go on trial, Believers are praying for him. And what is Peter doing? That's right, he's fast asleep, isn't he? I don't know what you'd be doing the night before you would be brought out on trial the next day. I probably wouldn't be doing too much sleeping. But Peter was asleep. To me, that is an amazing thing. That here, this man is about to be brought on trial. He's heard what happened to James. And now he's in prison. And he hears that they're going to bring him out after the Passover. And we're told this is the night before. And he was asleep. How could he do that? Well, by this time, Peter was a different man, wasn't he, from what he was when he first came across our Lord Jesus Christ and all the times he, he messed up and he opened his mouth too soon and he tried walking on water and that didn't work out and he denied our Lord Jesus Christ. But now he's um, filled with the Holy Spirit after the day of Pentecost and Peter is a different man. I believe he's come to understand that God is in control that the Lord God is sovereign. You see, when we, when we know that the Lord is in control of our lives, it affects the way we feel, the way we think, and even our patterns of sleep. When we truly believe that he is sovereign, in Psalm 46, it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed. There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God. The psalmist goes on to say, Be still 
and know that I am God. I find great comfort when I read Psalms like that, when I hear about things like ISIS, Ebola, and all the things going on around us, the terrorist warfare and the economy. And as Peter heard this news that he was going to be brought before Herod, he was asleep. And to me, that tells me that he understood that the Lord was in control, and so he could sleep. God is in control even when we suffer. Now, from a human point of view, it would seem that all was hopeless. Here he was. He's in prison, 16 men guarding him. He's chained to two others. There are several gates, and it looked like it was all over. It, it was like almost like a building that's coming down. All you've got to do is, you know, if you can get out of there, you will, because there's no other option. You can't try and prop the thing up if the building is collapsing. It looked like it was a hopeless situation. Peter was chained. He was trapped. There was no way out. It seemed like it was the end of life's journey for Peter. But then in verse 7, we see some wonderful words. Now behold... And that introduces the hope that comes. An angel of the Lord came and stood by him. So in spite of this hopeless situation, suddenly an angel appears. There is a light that shone into the cell. And Peter is struck on the side by the angel. That tells me he was pretty fast asleep. It took more than just a whisper to wake him up. He was struck on the side. The angel said, get up quickly. And his chains off. God was at work. A miracle was taking place. And through all this, the light shining in, the noise of the chains and the angels speaking, the gods sleep, are asleep and they carry on sleeping. That too was a miracle, wasn't it? That the gods slept on. You see, when, when the Lord is in control and he's got a plan, he takes care of all the details. We sometimes think, wow, yeah, the Lord did this for me, but what about that, that, and that? You know, if the Lord is in control, he's in control of everything, and he takes care of every minor detail. The angel says to Peter, dress yourself. Right? God could have dressed him, but the Lord doesn't usually do for you what you can do for yourself. So Peter dresses himself. The angel says, follow me. And at this point, in the ninth verse, we see that Peter thought he was having a vision. He's still not fully awake, is he? He thought he was having a vision. They go past the gods who are still sleeping. They come to an iron gate. And what does Peter think? Wow, this gate's a big one. How are we going to get through this? No, he knows the Lord has already taken the chains off and he's gone through other gates and that the, the gods sleep on. So he is confident that God will open this one. And Jeremiah 32 says, Nothing is too difficult for thee. Nothing is too difficult for God. We are told... Very specifically, that this was an iron gate. The idea is that it was a solid gate. It was strong. And we sometimes think, well, the Lord is, is very powerful, but you know, this situation of mine is just so big, I don't know how God's going to get me out of this one. But you know, the Lord is the God of the impossible, isn't he? When we look at the history in Scripture, we see all the impossible situations that the Lord has dealt with. We see Abraham and Sarah way beyond childbearing age, and Isaac is born. We see Joseph in a pit. It looked impossible for Joseph to be rescued, and he gets sold as a slave, and it looked like that was going to be the end 
of Joseph's history in Israel. But the Lord had a different plan, doesn't he? And he uses Joseph to spare his people. Then there was Hannah, who was barren, and the Lord gave her a child. There was Daniel in the lion's den. Usually that, wouldn't, that one wouldn't survive in a den of lions. I mean, it's not very often that lions are not hungry. But Daniel survives that. The Lord spares him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in a fiery furnace. Who can survive the flames of a hot fire like that? Esther, who comes to the rescue. The Lord uses Esther to save his people. Your situation may be different. But the Lord is able to deliver us from every situation. You see, God is in control no matter what the situation is, no matter how late the hour is. It looked like it was all over for Peter. It looked like it was the 11th hour, almost 12. But yet, God was in control. And that's what we see as the story goes on. So there was no barrier that was too difficult for the Lord. The Lord can change the hardest heart. We've seen that in South Africa and in Zimbabwe. People who we thought, oh, that guy will never come to Christ. You know, and then a few years later, the Lord does a work in his life and he gets saved. The strongest atheist, the Lord can change. There was a man who wanted to write a book against the resurrection of Jesus Christ. His name was Morrison. And he wanted to disprove the resurrection. And so he did some research and he ends up writing a book called Who Moved the Stone? You see, he'd become a believer. The Lord can change the hardest heart. The most self-righteous legalist, like the Apostle Paul, the Lord changed him. And someone who was going around persecuting the church now was on the side of God's people and became what we know as probably the greatest apostle, the most self-righteous legalist, the most sinful addict the Lord can change. As Isaac, not Isaac Newton, but um, John Newton wrote in his hymn, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. No gate is too difficult for our Lord to open. So the gate opens, this final gate, and Peter is led out into Jerusalem. The angel walks with him one road and he leaves him, which of course is no problem because Peter is very familiar with Jerusalem. He could have gone home, but he doesn't. Where does he go to? He goes to the house of Mary. Why? Because he knows that there the believers will be praying. And what struck me as we read through this passage was that this home was described as Mary, the mother of Mark, of John Mark. Now that's very significant because John Mark would become a missionary, right? And he would have witnessed what was going on. He would have seen the miracles that the Lord was doing. And this happened because Mary opened her home for the gospel, for the believers to come and have a prayer meeting. And you see, I believe it's true when we open our homes for the Lord and his work, when we use our resources for him, the Lord blesses us and our families. And that's what the Lord did. He blessed John Mark. He had a bit of a shaky beginning. We know the story of how Mark went out as a missionary and he deserted initially. But he was reconciled with the Apostle Paul and he became a great missionary. And he even wrote one of the books in the New Testament. So he goes to the house of Mary. He knocks on the door, and who comes to the door? One of the, la one of the ladies at the prayer meeting, Rhoda, maybe she was a servant, we're not sure, but she comes, and she, she comes to the door, and she hears the voice of Peter. 
She gets so excited that she forgets to answer the door. She just wants to go back and tell everybody, Peter's at the door. And what do they, what do they say? They said, you're crazy. How can Peter be at the door? He's in prison. We're praying for him. Don't you know that? That's why we're having this prayer meeting. Are you out of your mind? She says, no, he really is there. I promise he's at the door. Well, that's quite amazing, isn't it? Because we were told at the beginning that constant prayer was being made. So there were folk who were praying, but there were some there whose faith was weak. Right? When you're told you're praying for Peter and then somebody says, Peter's at the door, and you've just been praying, and you say, no, impossible. That's a sign of a weak faith, isn't it? It's like the person who goes to a prayer meeting but doesn't take an umbrella. You know, if we took an umbrella, that would show a little bit of faith that we believed God was going to bring rain to our land. So these folk prayed. But the Lord was in control, even though their faith was weak. Sometimes we pray and we may be half-hearted. We don't pray seriously. But the Lord is still in control of our lives. Because our God is an amazing God. You see, our faith is often weak, isn't it? We don't always pray as we should. And sometimes the scriptures tell us that sometimes we, we don't even know what to pray. And the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. God is sovereign in all situations. He wanted to spare Peter. And even though the believers are unfaithful and don't have full faith, they, God is still faithful and sovereign. He's in control even when our faith is weak. So these folks said, no, it's not a Peter. Um, it must be his angel. Think about that. That's a bit strange, isn't it? What would Peter's angel be doing knocking on this door of the prayer meeting in the middle of the night? Surely he would be needed there in the prison with Peter, you know, to protect him there. So it was an absurd comment. Peter's angel is at the door. Impossible. Anyway, eventually Peter keeps knocking and they come and they open the door. And in verse 16, we read that they were astonished. They were amazed. Wow. So God really does answer prayer. Sometimes we're a bit like that, aren't we? The Lord answers a prayer and we're just so astonished like it's never happened before. <laughs> the Lord is a God who answers our prayers. And yes, we must be um, rejoice every time he does, but sometimes we can behave like it's never happened before. These folk were just so amazed. Peter silences them. And then he says, go tell James and tell the brethren. And then we are told that he moved to another place probably a wise thing to do for a wanted man. Then we are told that back in the prison, the gods wake up. Finally, the gods are awake. And in verse 18, it says there was no small stir among the soldiers. In other words, there was a big stir, right? That's the way sometimes the biblical writers speak for emphasis. And so there was a big disturbance. There was a huge commotion. There were these 16 men who were supposed to guard one man who's no longer there. And now they think, how did that happen? Who, did, who didn't do their job? So there was blame shifting. There was probably arguing. Who's going to take the flack for this one? Herod orders an investigation. And when there's no reasonable explanation given, all the guards are put to death. After this, we are told that Herod leaves for Caesarea. And if you've ever been to Israel, you'll know that Herod had a palace in Caesarea, right there on the Mediterranean. It was probably a wonderful palace there. And so he thought, let's get away from Jerusalem. You know, there's things happening here that I just don't understand. Maybe he was afraid and thought, you know, what these Christians are doing, I just, I'm scared of them now. So he thinks by leaving 
Leaving town, his problems will go away. So he heads off to Caesarea. But our problems don't go away when we leave town, do they? Not at all. And Herod's were only just beginning. So he goes to his palace. And then Luke tells us in this account that there were some folk from Tyre and Sidon. The people of Tyre and Sidon had upset King Herod. And that's probably not a good thing to upset the king. And so they thought, well, what we need to do is to make peace with the king. And especially in view of the fact that they got their food from the king's country. That makes sense, doesn't it? Why cut off the hand that feeds you? They were smart enough to make peace with Herod. And so they do it through a mediator, the king's assistant, whose name is Blastus. Interesting name, isn't it? Blastus. And what they did was then the king was about to make a speech and they all show up for this speech. And this crowd just are so impressed. Herod puts on his royal robes and he makes this impressive speech. And all these folk from Tyre and Sidon are there. And they start ranting and raving and shouting and saying, the voice of a God and not a man, the voice of a God and not a man. Obviously, they were trying to slush up to him so that he would be happy with them again. But how does Herod respond to their comments? He liked it, didn't he? He thought, that's nice. <laughs> it's nice to be praised like that. But what follows should give us a very healthy fear of God. We're told that an angel came and struck him because he did not give glory to God. Makes one think, doesn't it? But the irony is this. At the start of the account, we have Peter in a prison, and an angel comes and rescues him. Peter is locked away, secure in a prison, and an angel comes and rescues him. On the other hand, we have Herod in a palace, thinking he's the king, he's in control, and an angel comes and strikes him down. Amazing, isn't it? The Lord saves one, and he puts to death another. Herod did not give glory to God. I'm challenged when I hear things like that. Am I giving glory to God? Are you living your life in such a way that you are giving glory to God? It is reflected in our ambitions, in our thinking, the things we talk about, the things we like to buy, and how we spend our time and energies. Are you giving credit for what the Lord has done in your life and the thing, your accomplishments? Do you give credit to God? Or do you like to receive the compliments that people give you? Do you live for others? Or do you live for yourself? Do you live for God? An angel came and struck Herod down because he did not give glory to God. Now, as we come to the end of this story and towards the end of my message, I want us to observe what Luke says right at the end. In verse 24, but the word of God grew and multiplied. Remember at the beginning of the story, what we saw was that Herod was trying to kill Christians. Maybe he was trying to stamp out Christianity. At the end of the account, what we read is that the word of God grew and multiplied. See, people think that they can put an end to what God is doing. The rulers of our land think that, don't they? They make rules that are difficult for Christians. People have always, throughout history, made it hard for believers. 
Those who live godly lives will suffer persecution. But the word of God will never be put out. The word of God will never be stamped. You see, you can chain the messenger like they could chain Peter, but you cannot chain the gospel. You cannot chain the message because God will always see to it that he has a testimony somewhere in the world and his name will be honored and glorified. And so the word of God grew and multiplied. Herod thought that he ruled. But this story shows us that God is sovereign, that he rules. No matter what happens in your life, in my life, we can be sure that our God is in control. Your circumstances right now may not be great. You may have health issues. You may have job issues. You may not have a job. You may have all kinds of struggles. But I want to encourage you this evening and remind you that the Lord is in control, that he knows your needs. Your faith may be weak. The wicked around you may seem to prosper like Herod was prospering. But the Lord is in control. Satan may seem to be gaining ground. When we look at the news and what's going on around us, we think, wow, Satan is doing a lot of things. You know, thinking he's gaining more power. But he's on a leash. Satan can only go so far. The Lord is in control. And so with all this in mind, whatever we're going through in life, like Peter, we can have peace. Peter slept the night before he was to be brought on trial and probably put to death. And you and I can sleep no matter what's going on around us, no matter what the news will be tomorrow morning, whether the stock market crashes again or whatever happens. We can praise God that he is in control. Shall we pray together? Our Father, we want to thank you for your word. We thank you for the account that is given to us and for the faith of Peter and for the work of God in his life. We thank you that you are in control. People think they are. And Lord, we just thank you that you love us. We thank you that Christ came to die for us on the cross. We thank you that the word of God says nothing shall separate us from the love of God. Um, we just thank you that you have gone to prepare a place for us and that the day will come when you will take us home, and that there is nothing anyone can do to prevent that from happening. We thank you that as we live our days on this life, the Lord is our shepherd, and that we need not fear, because he leads us, he guides us. You are a sovereign God who's in control, and we just want to thank you that we can find comfort and peace in knowing this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.